before I take us into Psalm 1, um, I want to take a few minutes to talk about where we're going as a church uh, in 2020. But then when I look at Psalm 1, I want to get you thinking about where your life is heading in this next year, okay? Um, but so first, a few things, just because I don't do this very often, but I know it's good to do. Um, a few things about where we're heading as a church collectively together. And let me start, first of all, with a piece of, well, framed, dirty, stained, horrible carpet, okay? Um, this was given, when we left Christ Church Serpentine Hill, this was given to us. Um, it didn't cost them anything. They were throwing it away, okay? The, um, but there's a story behind it. See, what happened is when we first went to Christ Church Serbiton Hill, walking through the door, immediately what you saw was you saw this absolutely horrible carpet. Horrible. Like, and you kind of wondered, how could they let it be like this, okay? And, um, but we got captured by the vision of the church and by things that were happening there. And, and so, we, so we kind of tried to ignore the carpet. Um, and eventually, over time, I actually noticed that I came up with ways of putting a positive spin on the carpet, okay? So, for example, when uh, new families would come or that sort of thing, I'd be like, we're the sort of church where your kid can run with purple juice, and if they spill, they might make it better, right? And so, um, and what I noticed over time in myself, but also with others, is that people didn't notice the carpet anymore. But if you were new coming through the door, you'd notice it right away. And so, in a way, the kind of lesson of the carpet is something, by the way, the people on the PCC, the staff team will recognize that piece of carpet. Because something that we've been talking about is, hold on, what are the things that actually, if you're new coming through the door, you can see it. But that we've gotten used to and actually are probably hindering the mission of the church. Get the idea. And so there's lots of things that have been happening and will continue to happen that are connected to this. It's essentially, part of this is about us as a church desiring excellence, but at the same time being mindful that what we do is not a performance. Okay? And so, for example, our new comms role is part of this. Um, the, the, the website that's been, the new website um, is part of this. Um, tech upgrades and things that we've been doing are part of this. Cards in the lobby. The, I mean, there are loads of different things. And many things that you won't notice is just, it might be that in a year's time you go, everything's just a little bit nicer, <laughs> right? Like, and, and some of that's from this sort of thinking, this kind of, hold on, what have we stopped noticing but actually needs to change, okay? Um, part of this, for example, uh, there are some things that we're, a bunch of things that we're aware of, such as, can I give you some of these? The creche is too small. Um, the three to fives, I don't like that the three to fives have to go up the road to the church rooms. Um, the worship band set up in practice sometimes is difficult with people coming and going. The time for tea and coffee, therefore, is too loud. There's not a, sometimes there's not enough seating space. Sometimes there's not enough communal space. There's too much noise sometimes for prayer ministry. You get this kind of, all these sort of tensions. And there's also opportunities that are in front of us that we haven't grabbed hold of yet. And so one of the things that we're exploring, just to mention this, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, but we're exploring the idea of extending this church building. Um, so, for example, it could be uh, a, like an opportunity would be, when you look at the church, what you see 
is an, is an ancient building. And then you come inside and realize, oh, wow, this is actually kind of nice, <laughs> right? Um, and not that ancient isn't nice, whatever, but, um, but something that says from the road that we're ancient and modern at the same time. You see what I mean? Or, and so as a PCC, we're just starting to gently explore different ideas um, with the idea of building an extension either out the front or off the side. Um, I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but it's also connected to this idea of, hold on, what are the things that we've gotten used to, but what if we thought in a big picture sort of way, how could we better enable the ministry of this church? And so that's something that we're, that we're working on. Um, and so first of all would be the kind of lesson of the carpet. That's something that is part of how we're going forward right now. Another thing that's part of how we're going forward um, has to do with the fact that we are four church, um, one church, four locations. Sorry, I almost said that wrong. Um, when I got here, it very much felt like four churches, four locations, okay? And, it, and still, we're working through this, essentially. Um, because basically what happens sometimes in the Church of England is you get put together as a benefice, but that's actually kind of bad news. Because really what that means is you've got four churches and one vicar running between them. And so when I was coming here, my question was, well, no, hold on. How do we turn these four churches into a strength? instead of a, a weakness, okay? And so that's why we've, we're trying to change the language. Four churches, one location. Or, sorry, four locations, one church. <laughs> ah, okay. And, and as part of that, for example, at the end of September, we pulled together the, the, all the, the PCCs and the staff team for a day away where we were thinking about just this thing. And there are different things developing where we're realizing that the strengths of the different churches can actually benefit each other, and we can work together in ways. Uh, one thing that's connected to this thinking, some of you guys will be aware, that we have a minibus that we use from St. Andrews. And it's so that all the key stage two children from, and, and above, children and youth from St. Andrews, can come and join what we're doing here. And that's because when you look at St. Andrews Community Church, Actually, it's a beautiful facility, but there's not enough rooms to have a full provision for children and youth. There's just not enough rooms. It's just not, you'd, it would need to be bigger. And so the question was, well, how do you, looking forward into the future, if St. Andrews is going to be a church where young families go, how do you enable that? And so the minibus was a solution that basically makes them, in the future, gives it the potential to be a church that serves families well, right? And that's part of, again, figuring out ways that the churches that we have can work together and become stronger. And then a final thing that's part of how we're going forward um, is something that's, that I'm passionate about. And that's just the, it's about equipping and releasing. So for example, what that looks like for us, like I love with, with Jesus, I love that he, with the 12, with the 72 he basically said to them, you've seen what I have do, now you go do it. And they were terrified, right? And, but I love that, that model of being able to go, hold on, let's equip people to do ministry, whether that's church ministry or in the workplace or with friends or all sorts of different places. Let's equip people and then let them go for it, right? And so um, some of you will know, termly, I do tra training for preachers. 
twice a year do a training for people that lead services. Um, tomorrow night, for example, I'll be training the small group leaders, um, which is something I do twice a year, do a little training piece with them. Like um, in, at the beginning of November, Simon Gilbo did a great job with a bunch of preachers in the area. And so all of a sudden we saw, which is something I'd love to be doing, is that our church isn't just blessing us, but actually it goes far beyond our church. Um, as, and as well, so that training thing that we had in November, we had preachers from lots of other churches come as well. And so we had something like 45 or 50 people come to that evening. Fantastic, right? And so, again, equipping and releasing. And so we're exploring these different things. We're exploring the lesson of the carpet. We're exploring the idea of us uh, four churches working together, essentially one church, four locations. And we're thinking about equipping and releasing, how we can enable the ministry of the church and more. Um, and so, for example, with the equipping and releasing, we have three people right now that are exploring ordination. We have five people that will be ordained in June. So there's going to be a big celebration at that time. Don't miss it, okay? Like five people all getting ordained on the same day. Come on, from, from our churches. Um, next week, um, if you guys don't know Chris Rimmer, Next week, Chris Rimmer is going to be preaching. Um, he's exploring ordination. Guys, encourage him like crazy, okay? He's going to be scared. Lean in next week, all right? Um, I'm sure it'll be great. The, um, but all of this is part of where we're heading as a church that hopefully will bless us and more. Um, and in this next season, starting next Sunday, uh, we're going to have 90 days in the Gospel of John. And the idea is that we want to go deep into the Gospel of John. Um, as part of this, part of my thinking is that we, and you'll hear it again and again probably, is that we want to be apprentices of Jesus. Okay? This isn't just that we read it like it's an interesting text. It's more that we read it in such a way that we go, hold on, how do I become like Jesus and do what he did? And so we'll be going deep into the Gospel of John for 90 days. It'll build. As we're working through the Gospel of John, we'll be building toward Easter, right? Um, and, but I hope that'll be significant for all of us as we apprentice under Jesus. Okay, brilliant. That's, that's where we're going as a church. Um, now let's get to Psalm 1, shall we? It's been said that you're the culmination of your habits, okay? Okay. Um, that habits are incredibly powerful, that much of your life is made up of the various habits that you have. Now, now, if I challenged you today to brush your teeth in this next year over 700 times, you'd be like, easy, right? Or apply deodorant over 300 times, shower on a regular basis. We might disagree about how regular it should be, but you know, um, you'd be like, easy, I got this, right? These are habits that you learned, and I'm glad you did. Um, a few years ago, Joe and I were watching this documentary, um, and in the documentary, it was kind of like a crime, you know, lawyer sort of thing, right? And there was this, like, key moment um, where the person was, you know, the, the, um, the person was making this dramatic revelation, um, and basically it was that the accused didn't fit the description, because in the description, the person that did the crime was wearing white underwear, and the accused doesn't own underwear, right? 
So <laughs> immediately Joe and I just admitted this like, um, at some point you learn to put on underwear and I'm glad you did. <laughs> if you haven't, it might be a good resolution for 2020. Okay. Um, habits are powerful. In many ways, we're the culmination of our habits. To grow intellectually, you need to develop study skills. Socially, people skills. Emotionally, process skills. Physically, maybe workouts and nutrition. Spiritually, you might work on spiritual habits. It's been said that anything that's worth having doesn't come easy. So what will you become this year? What sort of habits could you put into your life? Now, bear in mind, um, with this, uh, sometimes we think about this wrongly. So check this out. Someone the other day said to me, um, what if every day we could do one more press-up over the whole year? Like every, every day you add another press-up. And you think, really, is that going to work? Am I going to be able to do 365? <laughs> like, it's not going to happen, right? Um, or there's a YouTuber that I like, and what he thought was, he thought, I know, every month I'll do a new habit. And so I'll do it for an entire month so it becomes part of my life. And then the next month I'll do another one. And I think he had this idea that at the end of a year he'd be like superhuman, right? Um, I mean, what do you think happened at the end of the year? Essentially, he was doing none of them. Well, but, but there's, a good, there's a good side to this as well. He wasn't doing any of them in the, way, in the disciplined way that he had initially intended, but he did find that there were several that were actually still a part of his life, that by having put the effort in, it did change who he was, okay? And so I say that to say, being the person you want to be takes effort. You can't do too much at once, and you can't expect too much over time. Um, so what should take priority? Essentially, what you need to do is focus on a thing or two and really let that become part of you in a really deep way, which takes a long time. Now, that brings us to Psalm 1. See, in Psalm 1, you get this, these two pictures that are being contrasted with each other. So check this out in verses 3 and 4. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Okay, so check this out. The first picture here is of a healthy tree, planted, yielding fruit, whose leaf does not wither. Um, I once was with a group of, of like high school students, like um, teenagers, and we were on the, next to the Mississippi River. And so I taught them based on Psalm 1. I taught them, you know, we, we looked at Psalm 1 together because as we were standing on the Mississippi Riverbed, there were these massive, massive trees. And you kind of would look at these absolutely massive trees and go, why are they so big? Like, and it's because they're fed by the Mississippi River, right? And that's the sort of picture that we have here is it's contrasting a tree that is planted by streams of water. But it's contrasting that with chaff that the wind blows away. Um, a lot of us will, this, this might be a little bit like your Christmas tree right now. Right? Like, 
in December, it's sort of, sort of cruel. We try to trick it with a bowl of water, right? Um, try to keep it going as long as we can. And then, you know, now it's just this poor thing. Maybe it's not as bad as chaff blown along by the wind, but you get the idea. And so the question is, do you want to be like a tree planted by streams of water, or do you want to be like chaff blown along by the wind? And in Psalm 1, it doesn't give us, you can't be both. You're choosing one or the other. Now, I hope you're not right now thinking, ooh, that chaff thing sounds pretty good. (laughs) Um, Now, by the way, side note, you can be religious without tapping into the river. Okay? Be careful of that. Um, And so, what sort of person do you want to be? Now, there's a few things in Psalm 1 that help us to be that sort of person whose roots are planted. And the the first thing I'd want you to catch in this is from verse 1, when it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or or, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, notice in this verse, there's a progression. There's like a deepening relationship here. It's a progression of walk, stand, sit. It's a progression of a growing relationship with evil that has to do with the people that we have relationships with, the influence of others. So it says, do not walk in step with the wicked. Do not stand in the way of sinners. Do not sit in the company of mockers. So the way it's put here in Psalm 1 is essentially be careful of the company you keep. Now, by the way, I think this can also be put in a positive way. Like if you remember, we did a, a series on spiritual friendship. The premise at the beginning was that anything significant that you want to do is much easier if you do it with others. We then also applied that to spiritual growth. Um, I'm amazed over and over. I, I just notice it from time to time. I'm amazed how influenced we are by other people. Right? Um, one from a while ago that people will identify with, that you'll, you'll remember. Do you remember when, or some people will remember, uh, if you're old enough, um, Do you remember when we went from CRT TVs, the big deep TVs, to LCD TVs, okay? At the time, the LCD TVs weren't any bigger, okay? They didn't have HDMI. Um, Technically, people talk about it now. The CRT TVs had better color and essentially looked better. And yet we all did it. Like, and we did it with our computer monitors as well, right? Like, um, and you kind of go... Why? Now, eventually they got bigger and the image got better, and the, but we all switched over because everybody else was doing it. You see, we're incredibly influenced by others. What if we could use that influence in a positive way? What if you could join with a few friends in praying together or join a small group or join... If, by the way, if you're part of a small group and it's not helping you grow spiritually, stir things up. Like, give them a good kick, okay? <laughs> um, I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> okay? Because it's, it's important for us with others to be growing spiritually, right? It's incredibly effective. Now, 
So first of all, how do we get there? By the influence of others. Secondly, how do we get there? We hear in verse 2 where it says this. And it's contrasting with, the thing, with what we've heard in verse 1. In verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. You see, your roots need to be in the river. What we think, what you think about the Bible matters. We are to delight in it. Now, bear in mind, I think sometimes the way this gets put forward feels a bit fake, okay? Um, In other words, what happens is people say, oh, the Bible's amazing, and then what and, and we know that we're all supposed to say that the Bible's amazing. And then you go and read it and you don't understand and you're confused. And you think, this is boring. What's going on? Right? And so check, check this out. Um, I want to just share with you. I, I like this. This is Tony Campolo. Um, he was writing about this very thing. And he, and he says this. Check this out. I love the Bible. I want those I serve to learn to love the Bible too. But sometimes I feel like a guy trying to hook up a buddy with a girl I know, you know, do a little matchmaking, but the introduction isn't going so well. It's not because the two are incompatible, but, but how I set them up. I told my buddy that this girl was gorgeous, brilliant, outgoing, warm, accepting, personable, charming, perfect for you, I gushed. Then they met. It's not that I stretched the truth about the girl, she's everything I said. But the truth is, she can be a bit shy at times. She doesn't go around just spilling her heart out to everyone. You have to know the right kinds of questions to ask her, and then sometimes she can seem a little aloof. And although she's beautiful by anyone's standards, she dresses a little oddly by English standards, being from a Middle Eastern country and all. And I never mentioned her accent. My buddy thought her hard to understand, which made their first date awkward and uncomfortable. I think they still have a chance, but next time I matchmake, I need to be more realistic. See, here's the thing. Um, For example, in Psalm 119, David refers to God's word as like honey to his lips. That is something that is developed. Okay? You see, it's the way we think quite often in our culture is as though our hearts are meant to lead us. Right? Right? The way it's talked about in the Bible is that sometimes you need to lead your heart. And so, for example, in Isaiah 58, um, when the the people of Israel, they don't care about the Sabbath, and God says to them that they should care about the Sabbath, and says, if you will delight in my holy day, if you will treat it like... And and so God basically challenges that God doesn't say the Sabbath is amazing. God says to them that they should honor the Sabbath... And that, um, and that they should take delight in it. Essentially, they should lead their hearts in the way that it should go. And then they'll discover that it's a delight. Right? You see, anything good worth having requires effort. What I would love is for each of us to get to a place where we go like David, it's like honey to my lips. But you don't get there automatically. It takes effort. It takes leading your heart. It takes, and then we, we desire, we find out just how rich and valuable it actually is. Okay? And to Psalm 1, it's very clear that that is key for getting your roots down into the river. 
And it says, continues there in verse 2, and on his law, he meditates, or that person meditates day and night. Uh, There was a, um, Willow Creek did a survey where they wanted to figure out what were the most significant things for people's spiritual growth, okay? And you can think of lots of things that might have come out of this survey, but there were some very clear results. And at the top of it, of, you know, it was a huge survey. At the top of it, here's the results that they found, is that people that, rec- that reported the, the greatest spiritual growth in their personal lives, um, first, they said that they had some spiritual disciplines in their life, and secondly, they said that they meditate on Scripture. Isn't that interesting? That meditating on Scripture would be so significant like that. Now, by the way, don't be confused on the word meditate. Um, sometimes we think about Eastern meditation. That's, you know, where you, like, you think about nothing. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, Christian meditation is focusing, and Hebrew meditation, is focusing on truth and letting God reveal the depth of that truth to us. Like, I think that you should read the Bible at a much slower pace than you read anything else. Okay? And essentially what you should do is as you're reading it, it should almost be like you're grabbing onto things and going, hold on, I want to remember that. I want that to become part of me. It's been said that as soon as things were written down, that the, the, that the memory essentially has tended to, toward laziness. Right? So, so check this out. Um, how many of you remember when we had to remember phone numbers? And everybody had phone, and you had phone numbers in your head. You actually remembered them. Who does that anymore, right? Okay, like maybe a few people. Okay, but for the most part, I don't know about you, but for me, because my phone does it for me, I don't do, my, that part of my brain is gone, okay? Um, and sometimes as well, because you, with the Bible, you can have it on your phone, you can search it. The problem is if you read it, in a way that doesn't engage your brain, that doesn't use your memory, that doesn't, actually what happens is it doesn't go deep. It doesn't really become part of you. Uh, Rainer Maria Rilke, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce her name, said it this way about reading the Bible. She said that someone who's properly reading it does not always remain bent over his pages He often leans back and closes his eyes over a line he has been reading again, and its meaning spreads through his blood. So the picture that we get here in Psalm 1 of a tree that is planted next to streams of living water is one in which we are not influenced by the wrong people. And I would say it on the opposite way that you can be influenced in the right way by people but that we are a people that love God's word, that delight in God's word, and meditate on God's word so that we are planted. I want to pull this together with a personal story. Um, By the way, this is a story that if you've heard it before, I'm not bothered because you'll probably hear it again. It's one of these ones that like, was that significant for me? Okay. And what happened is, when I was like 18, um, there was a ministry group that I was part of. And what we would do is, it was myself, 
kind of like a 23 or 24-year-old guy named Joel. He's a good guy. Um, and some other teenagers. And once a month, we would go to a rural church and we would lead youth ministry, do a bunch of youth ministry stuff. And we do that once a month. And it was really exciting, great thing to be part of. And at one point, Joel turned to the, our little group and he said, so what do you guys do for reading the Bible? And he was, in, he was discouraged by the answers he got, okay? Right? And then um, I'd like to say it was our collective idea, but I think it might have been his. Um, the, he, he then, we kind of came up with this plan, and the idea was that we would read one chapter of the Bible a day. Now that's, you know, that's a nice thing, but there's a catch. If any one of us missed a day of reading Scripture we had to call everybody else in the group. And what would happen is, is that then once we all got the phone call, we would all go a day without eating. Right? Now, by the way, now notice something. You're shocked at going a day without eating. You're not shocked by going a day without reading Scripture. Right? And so over the next month and a half, we did that. One of the other people in the group had to call everybody. That's painful. I had to call everybody twice, <laughs> right? Now, here's what happened. At the end of that month and a half, and we stopped doing it as a group, but at the end of that month and a half, I was hooked. One of the most significant things for changing my life has been the fact that back then, I got into the habit of reading Scripture and loved it. I didn't love it at first. I loved it, I loved it eventually. I, didn't, I wasn't able to get into it on my own. I needed the help of others, right? So it brings it back to where are you going this year and how are you going to get there? How might you be a tree planted by streams of living water?